I'm Andy, and you're listening to the Mount Hood Podcast. Okay, we're recording now, and I'd like to start off with an introduction. This is going to be a geology of the mountain episode of the podcast, and with me, I have uh, an expert on this, Ms. Liz Westby of the Cascade Volcano Observatory, and did I, did I get all that right? You did, Yes. So hi, thank you for having me on your show today. My name is Liz Westby. I'm a geologist at the Cascades Volcano Observatory. I live in Vancouver, Washington. That's where our observatory is. Um, I'm part of the U.S. Geological Survey. Actually, there's five volcano observatories within the USGS, and I'm here at the Cascades Volcano Observatory. So our job primarily is to watch over volcanoes of Washington State and of Oregon. There's five in Washington and five in Oregon. That includes Mount Hood, which is an active volcano. Okay, great. And what is your background? How did you uh, go to school to become, a, I assume you're a geologist and a volcan volcanologist, is that right? I am. I'm a geologist. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting. I did not think of becoming a geologist right after high school. I went on into college. And of course, at the time I was going to do something dramatic. I went into University of Washington and I studied economics and I got a degree in economics thinking that would be great. But I'm a Northwest native and I just felt the pull back to my volcanoes. And so over time I was working in the legal field. I was doing all of, you know, these uh, reports and really you know, on the weekends uh, going off and going skiing and hiking and camping. And then I started getting interested again in geology. So I went back to school and I got a, another degree in geology. I went on, got my master's in uh, geology, and I started working here at the Cascades Volcano Observatory, working on volcanoes. Cool. Uh, so have you been, obviously you've been on a lot of volcanoes, I'm assuming. Have you spent much time on Mount Hood? Yes, I have, actually. Since I'm a Northwest native, I feel like this is right in my backyard. It's across the river from where I live, so I can see it all the time. I just feel like I have a, a real affinity for Mount Hood, so I really enjoy hiking. Uh, one of my favorite hikes is the one out to McNeil Point. I love going out there. I love going up in the high country. You know, anytime you go up to Timberline Lodge and you start hiking up, say, to Crater Rock, it's just an amazing experience to be out there. I also like skiing. I do some downhill. I've also done some cross country uh, because I love to go exploring out in the out in the landscape. Okay, great. When was the last time you were on Hood? Let's see. The last time I was on Hood was about a couple of months ago. We went up and we were uh, we stayed at government camp and we did some of the hikes up there in the area. I love going up there. For me, it's just like it's an hour and a half drive from where I live. So. Uh, it's a great getaway. So you can go up for the day. You can go up for overnight. It's a fantastic place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so into the geology bit here, what kind of volcano is Mount Hood? And is it the same as the rest of the volcanoes in the Cascade Range? So Mount Hood is called a stratovolcano. And you, if you divide that word in two pieces, strato means layer volcano. So it's a layered volcano. And it's very similar to most of the other active volcanoes that you see on the horizon, Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens. These are volcanoes that are made up of layers, layers of lava flows, lava domes. There might be ash and pumice layers. So each of these layers are building up over time 
to build this volcano. And of course it gets high enough that after a while it's up high enough to receive snow and maybe glaciers. And so a lot of the volcanoes you see on the horizon that are these snow and glacier clad volcanoes are, are actually these active volcanoes. So Mount Hood is one of those. It is a stratovolcano. Okay, perfect. And uh, when did it first form? It started forming about a half a million years ago. You know, volcanoes erupt in fits and starts. It's not a continuous process. So there were active periods between about a half a million years ago and 15,000 years ago. And then it went through a period of about 10,000 years of doing nothing. And then it revved up again about 1,500 years ago. And there were a couple of more recent eruptions that uh, occurred 1,500 years ago and even 200 years ago. The last time it erupted was the late 1700s, like 1781 to the mid-1790s. This was actually just before Lewis and Clark visited our area, traveling down the Columbia River all the way to the ocean. Um, they came across this river that was flowing into the Columbia River, and they noticed that there was a lot of sediment in it. And they, on their maps, they were calling it the Quicksand River. And it's what we know today as the Sandy River. So they were traveling by the community called Troutdale. And so what was going on is all of these sediments from this eruption that occurred in 1781 to the mid 1790s was washing downstream into the Columbia River to form this sandbar that was quicksand. So that's how we got the name Sandy River. Hmm. That's a good piece of history. We'll uh, save the history for my next podcast. So okay. <laughs> try, try not to do too many spoilers here. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, so that answers also the uh, kind of the last big eruption is in the 1780s. It, do you guys have a projection for, you know, the probability of it erupting again? I mean, I understand that it's kind of constantly in a state of venting. You know, for if you've been to the cemetery, you can definitely smell it up there. Um, coming out of those vents, but uh, is there a prediction or a thought process on kind of probabilities for it erupting in the next five, 10, 100 years? That's a very good question, and we get that a lot. You know, there really isn't a way to predict what's going to happen a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now. This is a natural process. It's very complicated. There's a lot going on beneath our feet that we don't even see. So we have to really just be ready for the eruption. So what we do is we set out monitoring stations. So what we're looking for are signs that things are changing uh, beneath our feet. So we're looking for increasing earthquakes. We're looking for changes in the gas composition. You mentioned, you know, when you go hiking up there, up near Crater Rock, there are these fumaroles, uh, you know, areas where gases are coming out of the volcano. We're watching and tracking the gas compositions. We're looking to see if there's any deformation going on. We're trying to find those earliest signs that things might be changing. You know, it's kind of interesting. We've realized now by having these long-term data sets that all of these volcanoes or the cascades are different. They're all individuals in a way, kind of like people are different, you know? And so each of them has their own parameters and how they operate and behave. Some have a lot more seismicity, some don't have much at all, some more quiet. I guess it's just kind of like people. So the idea behind our monitoring program is that we are figuring out sort of the baseline for all of these volcanoes. What is their normal behavior? So that then 
we can see when things change, when things are becoming a little abnormal. And that's the time when we're going to start talking to people. We already talk with emergency managers. We do volcano awareness campaigns to make sure people know that Mount Hood is an active volcano. So if we were to see things changing in a very big way, that's when we're going to mobilize. We're going to talk to you about unrest. We're going to work with emergency managers so that they can make informed decisions about the area. And it's at that time when we'll have a better answer for your question about forecasting when an eruption could occur. Once we start seeing these parameters, are they increasing rapidly or very slowly? Are they plateauing? So in some ways, it's kind of a wait and see. These are all these natural processes, these Earth's natural processes that we really can't predict. In some ways, I feel like, um, you know, we don't know a whole lot. We are very small compared to what's going on, all of the forces going on. And and really, it's more of our job just to watch, be ready, and get out of the way when these things happen, whether they be, you know, volcanic eruptions or tornadoes or hurricanes. It's just, I think that's more of what we should be doing is just to be ready to be there and then get out of the way when something is happening. So kind of on that note, then, uh, is it places like government camp on the south slope of the mountain there and you know above it is Timberline Lodge and then uh, you know on the east side you've got Mount Hood Meadows the ski area there and then uh, Cooper Spur up on the north side are those places in danger in an eruption I mean it seems like if it was a Mount St. Helens type explosion they'd all be gone uh, but if it's just kind of a I don't know if there's such a thing as a gentle lava flow or lahar would that affect those areas a lot and you know what are their permit processes and you know they're allowed to operate up there even though it's an active volcano. Right. So um, what would go on if we were to detect unrest, we would probably follow some of the same procedures we did for Mount St. Helens in 1980, is that areas would be closed. And so that is a time when most likely the ski areas. Now, USGS, I have to say that USGS would not be ordering these closures. That would be up to the local emergency managers the highway department, the people who either manage these areas or control these areas, the forest service, for example, when it comes to trails. So they would be the ones making these decisions. But if we assume what happened to Mount St. Helens in 1980 could happen at Mount Hood, then we might have a couple of months of warning. So at that time, if we started to see increasing earthquakes, maybe some gases, changes in gases, maybe some deformation, the emergency managers and the land managers would probably close that area. Can you imagine what that would do to that area? It might include closing off some of the businesses in government camp and definitely the ski areas. Those are pretty high up on the volcano. It could include closing off the highways that go down there, 35 and 26 go right over that area. And so it would be closures of these areas. It might even be putting out some notifications that there's a possibility of closing airspace around the volcano. As you know, the that's a, a big flight path coming down into the Portland International Airport is to fly by Mount Hood. So there might be restrictions placed on that. So can you imagine Two, if there were two months of warning in advance of an eruption, say like happened at Mount St. Helens, all of the changes that would go into place, it would really impact a lot of the businesses. It would impact people, everyone here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, absolutely. So how far out does that ring, kind of that ring of danger extend then? 
You know, there's um, so probably what would happen was areas closest to the volcano on the flank would be uh, closed because you want to have people um, out of harm's way. And, you know, there's also something you have to consider is that if there were to be activity, people are going to flock to the area. They're going to want to take photos. They're going to want to see the action. So the land managers are going to have a big struggle as to where to close off these particular places so people don't get too close to the volcano itself. So that's going to be a real challenge for them to figure out where the that closed area should be. Another hazard that we haven't necessarily talked about that people should be aware of, and that is if there was to be, say, a dome building eruption. So the lava is just piling up around the vent. It's not going very far, but if it's piling up and it's becoming unstable, it has the potential to collapse. And when it collapses, it can form this pyroclastic flow, which is this hot mass of gas and rock and ash that's going to start melting the snow and ice. And so that's going to generate these mud flows, these lahars that are going to travel down the river valleys. And so people along the river valleys, so we're talking about Sandy, the communities of Sandy, communities of Troutdale, potentially up Hood Riverway. So we're talking about some fairly wide areas that could experience this disruption because of uh, what's going on at Mount Hood. So it's very important that people living in these river valleys even quite a distance away from the volcano, are aware that they could be also affected by a hazard. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when Mount St. Helens blew, the uh, Toodle River got beat up pretty bad and all the people along there. So it's, uh, it, it can go quite a ways, absolutely. Uh, all right, switching gears a little bit here back to kind of the, the history and geology. What, what was the estimated maximum height that Mount Hood reached, uh, you know, after its last eruption or maybe a couple prior. Do you guys have an estimate on that? Has it eroded quite a bit since it uh, its peak height? You know, it's really, that's a very good question because we really don't know how high Mount Hood would have been in the past because of erosion. There's lots of snow and ice up there. There's lots of erosion going on. So we really don't know how high it's been in the past. Uh, we can't we can make some estimations based on, you know, if you look at the flanks of the volcano and you sort of project upward, you know, how tall would it have been? And it's probably not much taller than what it is today, today representing sort of the, the culmination of a lot of this half a million years of volcanic eruptions going on. So it's probably close to what its max height would have been. But it's something that we really don't know because of this battle that goes on continuously at volcanoes. It seems like volcanoes are trying to build themselves up. They have lava flows and lava domes and they have eruptions. And then you have over time this quiet period when these hot fluids are circulating in the volcano and weakening the rock and you have collapses, and then you have erosion going on, and then you have ice age coming in and eroding things. So I tell you, it's very challenging for a geologist to go out in the field and try and figure out what happened to this volcano, because deposits are missing. They've been eroded away by water, by ice, and so it really becomes this puzzle. It's something that I never really thought about when I went back to school. I thought, Geology, it's all about the study of, you know, math and, you know, these predictable things. But really, it takes a lot of creativity to also do geology because you're out in the field, 
you're standing in front of this outcrop that has different layers of rocks and, and different things going on. And you're thinking, ah, scratching your head, what went on here? And that's where you really employ a lot of creativity. You pair that up with your scientific background. You think, what could have happened in this location? And that's where um, it's amazing to think that um, geology isn't just about this science, this dry scientific stuff, but there's a lot of creativity that goes on to imagine what would have gone on in the past. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you look at uh, some of the the big alpine lakes around here, Crater Lake, uh, and then the ones outside La Pine, they you know kind of have a clearly defined slope you can you know kind of project up what those those mountains would have been and it's it's they're massive it's it's fascinating um so on that note uh a question i've always wondered is what is the official height of mount hood you know i'm i'm a lifelong oregonian pacific northwester as well and i feel like every time i see a sign it's a different number so it seems like as technology is evolving and your studies and surveying is improving, the mountain keeps changing height. So is it just getting shorter as it gets older or what, what's going on with it? There is a lot of erosion that goes on to, to change. A good story is from Mount St. Helens, of course. The, um, after it exploded, the highest point on the rim after 1980 was 8,333 feet. And then over time, the rim has been eroded. So now it's 8,330 feet. So it's lost huh. three feet off the rim in 43 years or so. So volcanoes do that. And also ice, you know, where are you going to put the highest point at Mount Hood? Are you going to put it at the highest geologic, the estimate of the highest geologic point? Are you going to put it on the very top where the ice cover is like at Mount Rainier is at the tallest point on the ice cover? So there is there is a little bit of, of controversy and you're going to see some changes now and again. But um, for the most part, everyone tries to be really close. It just depends on what your priorities are. What is your interest in determining the height of this volcano? Is it, you know, for climbing purposes, do you want to do all of your, your summits, uh, your tallest summits in various places? Then that's, of course, you might decide ice cover is the highest point on that volcano. Are you interested in how far, you know, how big this volcano has become? Maybe it's just the geologic high point of these volcanoes. So you are going to see a lot of changes in numbers, but it doesn't mean it's wrong necessarily. It just means that we have some different priorities and different ideas about what is actually the high point of the volcano. Okay, but of course, so if you're climbing, if you're climbing, you want to make sure you're at the top. <laughs> so <laughs> I can understand why it's very important to know from a climbing perspective, how high did I go? So that's that's why I, I, I can understand your point. So what is your number for Mount Hood? Well, 11,251 is a good number, um, but things do change. Things are eroding, things are over time. And like you mentioned, we're becoming more sophisticated too about how we figure out what the height of things are. It used to be you'd have to survey it or go up with some um, some old devices, some altimeters, and you know, figure out based on weather conditions about what what is the actual elevation of this point. And we're coming much more sophisticated with our GPS and um, satellites technologies to figure out almost within centimeter accuracy levels what what is the actual height of these things. So um, don't be surprised if you see more changes in the future as technology advances and we just have better access and control over elevations. Okay, so a little bit broader question then about geology in general is as technology is uh, improving, I guess I hate to use the, the phrase here, but what is kind of a hot area of geology and no pun intended there on volcanic activity? 
<laughs> what is the hot area? I like that. Um, the hottest area now has to do with the integration of machine learning. So as you can imagine, we have stations out on Mount Hood, actually all of our volcanoes right now. On a daily basis, they're collecting data on earthquakes, ground deformation. We even have stations that are collecting gas data at Mount St. Helens. So all of this is coming into the Cascade Volcano Observatory. We get about six gigabytes of data a day just from our volcanoes here in Washington and Oregon. And so the idea is how can a human, how it's not physically possible for a human to comb through all of that data to start determining some of the patterns, some of the idiosyncrasies of each of these volcanoes. And so that's where maybe machine learning can help us. Machine learning can start combing through all of that data, kind of pulling out some patterns, helping us to figure out what is a normal background level for each of our volcanoes and what might be a little bit different. They could help alarm us if things are getting out of whack a little bit. Right now we do have alarms so that if things go out of parameters, people are notified and they do go in. But all of this data that we've been collecting, these long-term data sets since like the two, a lot of these stations go back to the 2000s. And so we have these long-term data sets and it would be great to have machine learning go back, take a look at all of this data, kind of help us to determine patterns for each of our volcanoes since they're all a little bit different. And then that can help us going forward in the future. Can you help track if we have these parameters and we know, okay, this is what it looks like normally. This is what we saw before it erupted, say for Mount St. Helens. And this is what we should look for in the future. So I think that's going to really help to do, um, to better assess what's going on and be able to forecast what a volcano might be doing in the future. Interesting. Yeah, it seems like AI is all over the place. I mean, that's a, a great place for it. I, I yeah, I'm not sure if it's AI though, because okay. AI, you think about decisions. I think we're we're kind of a little bit hesitant to go into uh, too much of a reliance on that. But machine learning, the idea being, we tell the machine, okay, go back. This is what a debris flow looks like. Go back through the record for the past, you know, twenty some years, and tell us about all of these debris flows that have gone on. We'll give you what it looks like. We'll give you a sample of what you're supposed to be looking for, and you go back and tell us all of this. We're a little hesitant about AI because we understand its usefulness, but at the same time, I think humans are the the ones that are going to have to suss this all out and figure out what's going on and make decisions uh, for other humans that are living in the area. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to put yourself out of a job too. So I can understand that. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> All right. Yes, you're right. Job security. Let's, yeah. let's continue having people do yeah. these things. <laughs> um, so something I've noticed about the Cascades is they all kind of seem to be a similar height. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not the Himalayas, they're not the Andes, they're not um, well, I mean, maybe pretty close to the Rockies, but uh, you know, they're they're not the big volcanoes in Alaska and northern British Columbia. So what what is it about our area and the the, the, the subduction zone of Juan de Fuca fault and all that that, that kind of makes them in that 10 to 14,000 foot range? Yeah, well, a couple of things are going on. You know, one of the things is that most of the volcanoes that we have here in the Pacific Northwest are about half a million years old or younger. 
So we don't have kind of these old volcanoes. We, we figure the lifespan of a volcano could be one to two million years. And so we have relatively young volcanoes. So just as you expect kids to be smaller than adults, maybe we have a bunch of kids in our backyard, volcano mm. kids. So that can be a reason. Another thing that researchers have been looking at is how much energy and force is required to get magma to the surface. And it's quite possible when a volcano starts to get to be a particular elevation that it's requiring too much force to push magma up from the magma reservoir, which we figure is, is mainly between five and eight kilometers beneath a volcano, to get that up through the crust, through the edifice of the volcano up to maybe a centralized vent to erupt onto the surface. And so the, the magma is in a continual battle, it's cooling, it's crystallizing, maybe it's not gonna be able to erupt. And so there might there just might be a point at which it's not, the magma is not able to force its way up into the surface anymore. So that that could be another reason, in addition to being young volcanoes, at some point, it's going to be too hard to get the magma up to the surface. So that could be why we have these volcanoes that are 14,000 feet and less. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right. A uh, little bit different topic here. A couple of them. Um, Yellowstone. I, you know, I've read a couple things that say when that thing goes, it's pretty bad for the whole planet, uh, that it's a, a super volcano or whatever the term is. Uh, what can you tell me about that? Does it live up to the hype? Is it uh, a real danger for the whole planet or is it just going to continue venting the old faithful and the other geysers there well for yellowstone um since technology is advancing they're able to determine what is really going on beneath the volcano and they've been doing some imaging based on seismic data and geophysical parameters to take a look at the magma reservoir under there and they're realizing that it's cooling down. So there's only about 20 to 25% liquid down there that would be actually eruptable. And you need to have at least 50 or 60% down there to make it erupt, actually. So mm -hmm. we know there's this huge body down there. It's been cooling over time. That provides heat to the subsurface that heats up the water that, you know, that promotes all of these geysers down in the park. But really the magma reservoir itself is not full of eruptible magma. And so the idea that there could be a sudden or random um, eruption of, of Yellowstone is not true. And if you look back at Yellowstone's history, the last big eruption was 631,000 years ago. And before that, it was 700 and I'm not sure, 700,000 years ago. So there's only two data points. So if you're trying to figure out like predictability, you need more data points. You need to be able to go back and say, oh, what is this volcano like? What does it do? Oh, it's had these eruptions and we can see a pattern. It erupts you know, predictably or every number of years. And so from that, you can extrapolate into the future. But if you only have a couple of data points, it's really hard to extrapolate into the future. So what I'm trying to tell you is that eruption that happened 631,000 years ago happened then. Since that time, there have been more eruptions. There have been lava dome building inside the crater. That is the one that's probably going to occur in the future. And this hype about the volcano blowing up and being a super volcano is really not true. 
I work with the, the, the scientist in charge of the Yellowstone volcano, and he just really um, hates that word, a super eruption, super volcano, because what's mainly going to happen is probably going to be a small lava flow within the park. It's going to attract a lot of attention, but it's not going to be something that affects the entire West Coast or the entire planet. Well, that's good news. I'll help me sleep a little bit better tonight, and I won't worry about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, just a, just a one last question. I'll turn over to you for kind of whatever you want. Uh, when you drive up to Mount Hood, uh, especially on Highway 26 from uh, the Portland area, as you turn the corner and you get a good look at the south flank there, there's a very distinctive feature, a big cliff uh, that yeah. I've, you know, known as Mississippi Head. To me, that looks like some lava flowed, kind of got stuck, and then, you know, the face of that eroded away and created that. But that's just, you know, my amateur geology uh, work here. Can you tell me how that was formed? I've always been curious, like, how that got formed. Hey, don't knock amateur geology. I think intrinsically, we all kind of have this inner geologist in us. When we go out and we take a look at things, we've observed Earth processes for as long as we've been alive. So. I think that people are pretty good at interpreting deposits, but I can tell you a little bit about that one. So the Mississippi head is really this short and stubby lava flow. It erupted about 12,000 years ago. It didn't travel very far. Mount Hood in general tends to erupt a lava. It's called an andesite. Andesite is this, just this gray lava. You probably see it everywhere you go up when you go hiking at Mount Hood. You're going to see it everywhere. Um, it's called this andesite. It actually comes from um, the Andes, related, you know, named after the Andes, where they also found this kind of gray rock. And so it's up there. Andesite tends to be kind of thick and sticky. It doesn't really travel very far. So the flows you see up at Mount Hood are going to be these short, stubby, thick lava flows that don't really travel very far. They erupt and they just don't get very far off the volcano. They might travel, you know, six to eight miles at most, but then they're going to stop. They cool down and there's not enough lava coming out, pushing it downhill. So it simply cools down. And then over time, you're going to get erosion. That was 12,000 years ago. So you also have ice interacting. You also have wind. You has, also have, you know, the seasonal snowfalls working to erode and remove some of these features. So Mount Hood is really kind of fascinating in that it's erupted this similar lava throughout its history. Other volcanoes can erupt different lava types, but Mount Hood seems to be a consistent producer of andesite. Gives us kind of some insight into what might be going on beneath the volcano and the magma chamber. Obviously, things are mixing up really well as you get inputs of magma from deeper below. It's mixing fairly well to produce this uniform lava that erupts onto the surface. So it's kind of interesting compared to these different volcanoes. Um, Mount Hood is pretty good at erupting the same kinds of things. But the good thing for us is that this andesite isn't going to travel very far. It can allow the release of gases. So it doesn't, it's not really explosive. The difference between, you know, Mount Hood and say Mount St. Helens is Mount Hood doesn't have these explosive eruptions that we've seen from Mount St. Helens. And so the next eruption of Mount Hood 
could simply be a few steam and ash blasts just to clear out the vent, and then maybe some short stubby lava flows, maybe some lava dome building. It doesn't mean there won't be hazards because I'm trying to minimize that picture in your mind of this huge eruption. It doesn't mean there wouldn't be hazards associated with that. There would be closures. There could be closures of airspace, land um, around the volcano. So it wouldn't be without its hazards, but I don't anticipate something coming out of Mount Hood that would be huge and life altering. Cool. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for this. I really appreciate you joining me today. How can people get in touch with you if they have more questions about the mountain? I hope people would be able to go to our webpage. We have, if you search for the Cascades Volcano Observatory, you pull up a webpage. So go there. If you're interested about specific features, you can actually search for different kinds of volcanoes. So you can learn about Mount Hood, Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens, any volcano you would like to know more about. You can see our monitoring information. So if you're anxious about earthquakes that you might've been hearing about, you can go and you can click on that volcano. You can see monitoring data. So you can actually go see what's going on right now. And also we have social media. So if you want to go on to USGS Volcanoes, we have Facebook, X, um, and Instagram. If you'd like to uh, follow us, our USGS Volcanoes account actually includes all sorts of information from our Hawaiian Volcano Observatory, the Alaska Volcano Observatory, the Yellowstone Volcano Observatory, and of course here at the Cascades Volcano Observatory. So you can follow us. You can see all these things that are going on. We like to post information and keep people informed about what's going on at our volcanoes. Great. Thank you so much. Anything you would uh, like to add in closing? No, I would just like to go back and just make sure that people understand that these volcanoes are active. Uh, they show us signs that they're active by, you know, there's sometimes there's earthquakes or sometimes there are gas emissions. There might be a little surface bulging, but they're not necessarily going to erupt. We're not in any danger of an imminent eruption right now. We're watching for signs of that. And when that happens, we would definitely be notifying people. But at the same time, we want to make sure that people know that these are active volcanoes, that you might look out in the distance and you just see this volcano. It's got snow on it. You might just think, hey, it's a great place to go hike and camp. And it is. I love to go hike and camp and ski. So it is a great place to recreate while it's in this sort of normal background levels of activity. But just keep in the back of your mind that this is an active volcano and that there are certain precautions that you might need to take if the volcano was to become active. So be sure you know where to get official sources of information if this were to occur, because as you can imagine, uh, the online is going to be crazy if we ever decided to take the volcano from normal background to maybe an alert or an advisory level. So make sure you know where to get good sources of information, like your local emergency management agency. You can go to USGS, too. We'll give you good information. So make sure you know where to get good information. And then you're kind of ready. You just understand that this is where we live. This is an incredible, dynamic planet. I love living here. I love living in the Pacific Northwest. I love my volcano. But just understand that um, what's going on today might not be what's going on tomorrow. And just understand that unpredictability, that uncertainty. We just have to live with it. We're humans. We're living on this planet. We're the caretakers of this planet. And so I feel like we have this responsibility just to understand what's going on around us and be ready to take actions if necessary. Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, that's Liz Westby of the 
Cascade Volcano Observatory of the USGS. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. All right. I'm going to hit stop here. Hold on just a sec.